and to receive the habit and the tonsium. The one we have to consider here is from a good family and his sire a patron of the church. Of what age, Brother Paul, did you report him? He's an infant. Not yet five years old, said Paul. And that is the ground of my hesitation. We have now only four boys of tender age among us. Two of them not committed to the cloistral life, but here to be educated. True, they may well choose to remain with us and join the community in due time, but that is left to them to decide when they are of an age to make such a choice. The other two, infant oblates given to God by their parents, are already twelve and ten years old, and are settled and happy among us. It would be ill done to disturb their tranquillity. But I'm not easy in my mind about accepting any more such oblates, when they can have no conception of what they're being offered, or, indeed, of what they're being deprived. It is joy, said Rodolphus, to open the doors to a truly committed heart and mind. But the mind of a child barely out of nurse belongs with his toys and the comfort of his mother's lap. Prior Robert arched his silver eyebrows and looked dubiously down his thin patrician nose. The custom of offering children as oblates has been approved for centuries. The rule sanctions it. Any change which departs from the rule must be undertaken only after grave reflection. Have we the right to deny what a father wishes for his child? Have we? Has the father the right to determine the course of a life before the unwitting innocent has a voice to speak for himself? The practice, I know, is long established and never before questioned, but it is being questioned now. In abandoning it, persisted Robert, we may be depriving some tender soul of its best way to blessedness. Even in the years of childhood, a wrong turning may be taken and the way to divine grace lost. I grant the possibility, agreed the abbot, but also I fear the reverse may be true, and many such children, better suited to another life and another way of serving God, may be shut into what must be for them a prison. On this matter I know only my own mind. Here we have Brother Edmund, a child of the cloister from his fourth year, and Brother Cadfail, conversus after an active and adventurous life and at a mature age. And both, as I hope and believe, secure in commitment. Tell us, Edmund, how do you look upon this matter? Have you regretted ever that you were denied experience of the world outside these walls? Brother Edmund the Infirmer, only eight years short of Cadfail's robust sixty, and a grave, handsome, thoughtful creature who might have looked equally well on horseback and in arms, or farming a manor and keeping a patron's eye on his tenants, "'considered the question seriously and was not disturbed. "'No. I've had no regret. "'But neither did I know what there might be worth regretting. "'And I have known those who did rebel even wanting that knowledge. "'It may be they imagined a better world without than is possible in this life, "'and it may be that I lack that gift of imagination.' Or it may be only that I was fortunate in finding work here within to my liking and within my scope, and have been too busy to repine. I would not change. 
but my choice would have been the same if I'd grown to puberty here and made my vows only when I was grown. Now I have cause to know that others would have chosen differently had they been free. That is fairly spoken, said Rodolphus. Brother Cadfail, what of you? You've ranged over much of the world, as far as the Holy Land and borne arms. Your choice was made late and freely, and I don't think you've looked back. Was that gain to have seen so much and yet chosen this small hermitage? Cadfail found himself compelled to think before he spoke. And beneath the comfortable weight of a whole day's sunlight and labour, thought was an effort. He was by no means certain what the abbot wanted from him, but had no doubt whatever of his own indignant discomfort that the notion of a babe in arms being swaddled willy-nilly.